It is a joy to be with you as a part of the conference and worship and just to sense the life in your church family, but a special privilege to be allowed to have this time in your service to actually preach from God's Word. So I do hope you have a Bible with you because today I do love God's Word, but we're going to be looking at my favorite book of the Bible and my favorite chapter of that book, Romans chapter Eight. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And I do hope you have a copy of Scripture or an app in your lap if you're young, cool, cutting edge. But I want you to see God's Word because it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what Pastor Brian says or some other man or woman. The words of God are life-changing. So I hope you'll, you'll form a habit of bringing a Bible or an app that you can begin to mark up and you can go back to. Because I'm going to stop, I'm going to fly home, but this chapter's in the Bible. It's yours forever, every day, anytime. You can come back here and say, oh my goodness, look at that. Because what I want to do from Romans chapter 8 today is if I can, I want to try to take this time to help you build a theology of suffering well. You say, oh, bummer. Are you kidding? No. Nope. See, first you may say, well, I'm no theologian. That's not true. Every single person, man or woman, is a theologian. It's just a question of are you a good one or are you sloppy? Because theology is nothing more than a word about God. It's, it's putting together as you go through life, what do you think about God and what has he told us about this world as you process things and try to make sense out of it? You have a theology. Every person has a theology, whether they dart into the door of a church or not. It's just, is it biblical? Is it accurate? Is it true? And then you may say, well, I don't want to suffer. Well, then you need to go home and watch TV this afternoon to find those people with the hair swept back and his wife has long eyelashes and they have expensive cars and expensive dogs and they'll lie to you and try to tell you how you can use your Bible to say we don't have to suffer. King's kids go first class. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. But let me tell you, as you try it, it don't work. And it doesn't work because it's not biblical. So let's settle into, I am a theologian, I am going to suffer. God never promised we would not suffer. The goal needs to be, hey, how would I suffer well? And he's given us so much that's designed to help us suffer well. See, even those that are on television that are trying to build a theology of you, you don't have to suffer. There's this magic formula. If you do X, Y, Z, which also usually involves send me some money and get my latest book. If you do X, Y, Z, you'll get in the zone up here where you don't suffer but to do that folks even with bibles on their podium to do that you have to do a lot of fancy footwork and you have to dart around a lot of not just isolated verses you've got to ignore entire books of the bible like job 42 chapters that was written on suffering and not just suffering calamitous suffering when it doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. I love God. Job loved God. And this, the book of Lamentations is one big groan. I mean, it's from the word lament. It's not a happy book. Lamentations. First and second Peter was written to Christians who are suffering. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were suffering. The book of Revelation, though everyone get hung up with the beasts and the monsters and the dates and the battles, it was written to seven churches in Asia filled with Christians who were suffering and were about to suffer more. 
You gotta cut whole books of the Bible out if you say, no, God never intended for us to suffer. So let's go to God's word and say, what has he given us to help us suffer well? Romans chapter eight. We're gonna really dig down into verses 18 to 26, but this is such a rich chapter. I'm gonna read from 18 all the way to the end of it because it's just not right to stop short of all the goodness that's here. Romans chapter eight, verse 18. I'm gonna ask you if you'd stand in honor of God's word. Romans eight, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now, and not only they, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, For whom he foreknew, these he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? Who, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written? For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet... In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved 
us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these precious, life-changing, reorienting, refreshing, hope-giving words. Words of life. Lord, cause your word to run and be glorified in this place. Change us. Don't just delight us. Don't entertain us. Change us by your word. Where there's despair, give hope. Where there's darkness, give light. Where there's confusion, bring clarity. Where there's misunderstanding of you and this world, give us truth that we might live for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So before I drill down into the particulars in this passage, I want to put before you, let me just kind of give the lay of the land in a big overview. I hope you picked up on, as I was reading, three words that are woven in and out of those verses from 18 to 26. Three words just back and forth that are woven together that is the very fabric of how you suffer well. It's in there. The fabric of how you suffer well is right there. It's three cords that have to be woven back and forth into your life if you're going to have sustenance and if you're going to have joy and hope in the face of horrible things. It's these three words. Hope, wait, groan. You see the word hope is six times in those verses. Look in verse 20. Hope, right there at the end of the verse. Verse 24 has hope Four times in that one verse. Verse 25, hope. It's the word wait. Verse 19, creation eagerly waits. Verse 23, we ourselves, even as Christians, eagerly wait. And verse 25, we eagerly wait. Wait, 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 wait. And that's not just idleness. The Bible wraps a huge blessing around this concept of waiting. You see it all the time. There's a special blessing for those that wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. And even the word hope does not mean, well, I hope so, how we use it. Biblical hope, when you see that word hope six times here, biblical hope is a confident expectation of future blessing based on the character and promises of God. That's biblical hope. And you're waiting expectant. It's a good thing. It's a posture you wanna be in of I'm waiting I'm believing, I'm hoping based on who God is and what. And oh yeah, I'm groaning. There's groaning going on. And I hope you can appreciate that because the Bible doesn't teach, put on a happy face, just always smile, be like some little pull doll that's just pull string doll. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. No matter what's going on. Wife has cancer. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Bible doesn't teach that. Read Job. There's anguish. Read Lamentations. There's anguish. What the Bible gives us is so much better. He doesn't call us to fake it, folks. He says, as you groan and you do groan, as you re weep real tears, as you sob and sometimes just can't even form words, just make sure you're reading God's word carefully, 
prayerfully and often enough that your suffering is being wrapped around also with the cord of waiting and hoping, waiting and hoping, groaning, waiting, hoping, groaning, waiting, hoping. And the Apostle Paul is bringing this to us, and this is someone who was no stranger to suffering. So you can't push back and say, he doesn't get it. Read 2 Corinthians 11. He'll tell you just some of all that he suffered. Paul knew suffering, and Paul is writing to believers saying, let me tell you how to suffer well. Let me tell you what you need. See, get this. It's only by the grace of God It's only by the grace of God and the spirit of God living in you and the word of God speaking to you that you'll have this other cord of waiting and hoping. Every human being gets the groaning part. We don't have to be taught. You ought to groan a little bit. Life's hard, you know. You look way too happy. No. We groan. We ache. We have these places like, what is going on? This is hard. That's not right. That seems unfair. That's unjust. I can't believe you did that. We got the groaning. It's the hoping and the waiting that apart from the spirit of God living in you, being stirred up, and the word of God speaking to you, those two things work in tandem with each other. So you do have the spirit of God if you know Christ and you're a Christian, but it's still your your choice whether you're gonna scoot up to the table of his word. The spirit of God living. Some of you, let me say something that might be a little offensive. Some of you, the spirit of the living God is starving. Because all you're feeding him is TV and computer and blogs and video games and blah. The Spirit of God would love to use the Word of God. Those two things in conjunction with each other will change your life. It just comes alive. He says, hoping, waiting. So here's the first point I want to make. Just to be human is to groan. This groaning that our passage is talking about is internal, universal. And it grows louder and louder the older you get. Everybody gets the groaning part. In fact, creation itself gets the groaning part, this passage says. Everything is groaning. So I'm not asking you, are you groaning? I don't even have to know you. Say, you're a guest speaker, I know. But you're a human being. All I have to do is know you're a human being. You've got a pulse. You're alive. There's a measure of groaning. There's a measure of groaning. You have an awareness. If you're not yet, just keep living life. You'll start to groan. I'm asking you, what do you do with that? What do you do with that groaning? And it's not always audible. Sometimes it's just internal, like why, what? So much seems so wrong. Sometimes it's in particulars with our life, this difficult relationship, this health issue, this financial calamity, this rebellious kid, this. And sometimes my heart goes out to some of you that are younger, you know, in your teens or in your 20s. We do live in a scarier world. And a world where information is so immediate and so vast, you can just have a general sense of being overwhelmed by just the injustice in all of the world. You still, as you're growing up, you just know bad things that were happening in Bozeman, right? And now just boom, just ISIS and Ebola and calamities and disasters and sex trade and sex abuse and slavery and just on and on and on to where you can just have a heavy general angst over life and the world. What do you do with that? How do you keep going? How do you persevere with the groaning that you sense and you see? Well, here's where people step onto different paths. We're all groaning to be human is to groan. This is what sets us apart from the rest of creation. 
No, horses don't groan. They, they whinny. <laughs> That's not a groan. They're not bummed out about the world. And so they don't gather in the corner of the corral and have an in-depth discussion about what, what is going on with all the brokenness in this world. And the, it's us. That's why we have philo- philosophy departments. It's human beings that have philosophy departments to try to make sense of this. Because you're created in the image of God, you have, a, you have this innate... Let's make sense of this. Let's make sense of this. Let's connect the dots. What is the answer? What is going on? And so our world serves you up any number of ways you can, you can process this wrong. One of them is just to try to mask the groaning. Just amuse yourself endlessly. Just stay, just stay entertained long enough or drink enough alcohol or, or, or work hard enough, become a workaholic or just play hard enough. You can play, 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 work, work, work to just try to not feel it and not think about it. But it doesn't work. At the end of the day, you still have those quiet moments, whether it's in the shower or in the car or when you wake up in the night watches and you lie there, that you just can't stay amused enough, distracted enough, or drugged enough to still not have these thoughts. What is going on? And so let me tell you what this passage tells us is the proper response, but it's going to put off some of you maybe, so brace yourself. Paul is actually teaching us the proper response to this groaning that we all sense and we're aware of is to embrace the groaning. Embrace it. Embrace the groaning with a heart filled with hope because of the presence and power and promises of God. And so let me show you some of this. You've got presence and power and promises of God in the midst of your groaning, right in the midst of your groaning. God is not outside of your suffering and pain, looking on like some cold mechanistic machine. He's a personal loving God and he's inside the circle of your pain. And he's not just kind and good, but impotent and and powerless to do something about it. He's personal and powerful and has done something about it to redeem it. He's gonna redeem this entire broken, fallen creation and to redeem us. And it's in the passage that we read. That's why the flow of thought is important. That's why I read it all. When verse 32, when he says, how shall he who delivered up his own son for us not also freely give us all things? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ to conquer sin, Satan, death, hell, God has done something about this to redeem both creation and us. That's what the passage is teaching. So Paul is telling us, don't run from it. Now don't hear me saying, bring it on. Be so stupid that you suffer more than everybody else. No, there's enough of it going on. But when it comes, and it will, don't run. Don't try to just distract yourself or drug yourself or amuse yourself. Embrace the groaning with a heart full of hope because of the presence and power and promises of God in the midst of your groaning. You say, Brad, what are some of those promises? What, what is the hope? Why should I have any hope in the midst of this groaning? Let me show you what Paul said. Number one, your groaning, the reason you can have hope in the midst of it, your groaning pales in comparison to the glory that's coming your way. So look at verse 18. For I consider 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And the word consider right there is the word in the Greek where we get our English word calculate, compute. Means think carefully about this. Stop just emoting. Don't let your feelings just run all over the place. Think. I want you to think about something. I want you to listen and think. I want you to calculate. Take a line and draw it down the, the middle of your page of your life. And sure, go ahead and recount all the horrors of your suffering and groaning. Everything that's happened to you, don't hold back. But Paul says, just don't stop. Get over here to this other side of the ledger. And some of you, this side is, is quite empty. Because apart from reading God's word, really, regularly and slowly and prayerfully and carefully, you won't know the things that are over here. This is where we learn them. You're not gonna find them on CNN News. You're not gonna find it on the Discovery Channel. You're not gonna find it surfing blogs endlessly at night. You gotta get into God's word and you start to say, oh, oh, I can't tell you how many times this completely reorients me. I'm a pastor. I have my own groaning. I got four growing, groaning children. Some of them are young adults. Enough said. You just think you're groaning when they're little. When they get bigger, they give you lots to groan about. I got five kids. And then I've got a church the size of yours, and I'm aware of all the cancer, all the infidelity, all the rebellious children, all the financial problems, all the, what am I going to do with that? There are days that I just feel crushed with a weight that is just, and I begin, I mean, I put myself out there on the patio. I call it coffee Bible time. It's just Fort Wright, Kentucky. I don't have a view like you do, but it's still, it's sweet. I got a little birdhouse and some zinnias. <laughs> and I pretend that I'm here. But I've got this captured in my mind for the rest of the year. And oh my goodness, as I read God's word, and then I choose to meditate. I choose to take portions and actually memorize it and chew on it and work my way. Pray. I kid you not, and I'm not some wild charismatic. I don't bark like a dog. I don't roll in the aisle. I don't laugh for three months. But... My spirit changes. I can literally feel like this anvil of weight lift, not as I speed read God's word, as I chew my way through it. And there's days on my patio, I don't know what the neighbors think, that I just throw my little hand up. I thought, oh God, this is good. This is true. I don't see this. I don't feel this. But hallelujah, he's giving me a perspective to bear on the midst of what I do see and feel. And this is not the land of make-believe and just say it often enough and maybe it'll be true. This is not positive thinking. This is get your heart and head into truth what our God has told us, the same God who already sent his son to die for you, if you wonder whether he loves you or not, he's taking care of your biggest problem. Your biggest problem isn't that employer you hate. Your biggest problem isn't your spouse or your children or your health. Your biggest problem was that you were on your way to a Christless, eternal hell. And while you were yet sinners, God sent his son to take on flesh and to give his life to die for you and all you your sin was placed on him. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. We lose perspective and we start thinking, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I know it's hard. 
I haven't suffered as much as many, but I have suffered. I've lived long enough. I'm 52. I've been terrified. I've had, I've had not weeks, not months, but a period of years where it was all I could do to put my next foot forward and move forward. I know what that's like. And I'm telling you, it was only God's word, the spirit of God living in me and the word of God speaking to me that kept wrapping a, an additional cord. I had the groaning. I've never groaned so loud or so hard. But he, he kept rapping, hoping and waiting, hoping and waiting. We got Christians that are so faithful to listen to Christian talk radio and conservative talk radio that maybe it's not even Christian, but it's conservative. And you're getting all worked up and worked up and worked up and you'd never miss the news and you'd never skip the newspaper. But you just go day after day after day saying you don't have time for this. You are going to be on Prozac. You're going to be a nervous wreck. You're just going to be, yeah, like, so would I. Turn it off. Mark my words, you could go a whole year without watching TV and, the, and, and at the end of the year you'd say, how is it? It's bad. It was bad. It's still bad. Do you need all the details? Like, like we take in details of how bad it is through blogs and news and newspaper and then we just have a general fuzzy idea about who God is and what he said. Switch that around. Get details on who God is and what he says and have some awareness. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand. I asked my wife, tell me anything super important I should know because I'm not gonna watch it. I choose a treadmill at the gym that has no TV in front of it. There's only three of them. And I'm like, dude, get off. That one's mine because the whole rest of the gym, you gotta be plagued with the television. I don't want it. I'm gonna read this. If a plane crashes, let me know, baby. If somebody did something heinous, I don't wanna seem stupid, but we gotta get this thing turned around. If you want hope and wait in the midst of your groaning, you have got to have this. This is where you see who God is and what he's done. So your groaning pales in comparison to the glory that's coming, but you won't know what the glory is unless you're reading this. And oh, by the way, that glory that's coming, if you're young or maybe you're old and you just have a misconception of heaven, it is not a misty Think of a misty room and it's just kind of ethereal and it's like we're all on LSD and, and we're chubby and we're floating around with harps. God forbid, I wouldn't want to go either, you know? Read your Bible. He says it's going to be a new heaven and earth. This, this, that's my comfort. I got Montana coming. That's what I say to myself every year. I told my wife on the phone, first day here, I'm in, the, I'm in the Gannon's backyard. My heart just aches. You know what I mean? When you see beauty, especially beauty that's not yours, and you're like, how do I get a piece of this? How do I get me some land? I gotta have a house. I gotta have a view like this. I just settle down when I'm like, it's coming. It's, if this is good, and this is fallen, broken. Bozeman is fallen, broken. Imagine mountains and streams and fields and animals and all the best of 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 whatever pleasure there is in this world, it will still exist minus sin, minus curse, minus, minus a blanket of oppression and brokenness. God is going to redeem this earth and restore it to its original pristine condition. <sighs> That's what's coming. You like fly fishing? You just fly fish for about a million years and your buddy who wants you to do some woodworking, hang on, I'm gonna do this for about a million years and then I'll be, we'll build a table together. Whatever you enjoy, it's still gonna exist. It's not some weird, like, ah, glory, glory, it's coming. Number two, why can I hope in the midst of my groaning? 
Well, secondly, because your groaning is no accident, but is by design. And so it's not the result of a cold, random, godless universe that just slammed into you. Now, I want to be careful how I say this, because in a room this size, no doubt there are people who've had horrific things happen to you. Don't hear me saying God's the author of sin. He's not. But do hear me saying the Bible teaches that God is sovereign over everything, including evil. Not the author of it, but sovereign over it. And if you're a believer here today, whatever has happened to you, yes, don't hear me toning it down saying it wasn't sinful. Yes, it was, but it came through the hands. It was father filtered. Nothing can come into your life apart from God's sovereign. He's in control. And so that is a comfort. So that's not much of a comfort. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Even if you don't get explanations, and we don't, to wake up every day and say, this was not random. This was not random. God is in control. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why. I don't know what the purposes are, but I know he has a purpose. See, think of it this way. Picture the little girl in downtown Bozeman on Main Street holding her father's hand for parade. I don't know if you had those or not, but let's pretend. You know, you're waiting, 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 right? All she can see are like knees and just this slice right in front of her, this slice of asphalt right in front of her. That's it. But she's got her dad's hand. She trusts him. She loves him. She knows he's told her this is going to be great. Doesn't look great. But here's the posture we should have, just like that girl from this passage, on tiptoe, leaning in, eyes wide, expectant, hopeful, waiting, expectant, hopeful, waiting, because we know our dad. We don't understand. Now, because think about it. This same girl that's gripping her dad's hand, trusting, could be the same dad who also put her in the car and drove her to the hospital when she was three or four and took her in there and helped the nurse hold her arm while she started an IV. You think she understood that? Again, eyes wide looking at her dad, only this time, why would you let her do this to me? But dad knows you need a tonsillectomy and I think you'll enjoy this more with anesthesia. (laughs) But she doesn't get it. She is thinking ill thoughts towards her father. Now, stay with me. God is infinite, infinite. We are finite. There are going to be times as you hold his hand and you go through this life, it won't make sense and you'll be tempted to have ill thoughts towards him. But he has purposes. Nothing's random. Nothing just slams into your life randomly. Trust him, hoping, waiting, expecting. Your groaning's not an accident. Look in verse 20 of Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility. Okay? So all of creation has been subjected to futility. Now here's the important question. Who did it? Subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Who's the him? Some of you don't even want to say it. God. But we tend to act like everything bad is Satan. This wouldn't be this way at all. And again, hear me. God's not the author of sin or evil. 
But Satan is on a short leash for whatever purposes God allows him to do what he does. But our God is sovereign and it says he has subjected all this to futility, not just to be abusive and punitive and just say, that must be hard. In hope, in hope, in hope. Take that word futility and if you would just bump it up against every single thing you experience in this life, it would help you. Here's what I mean. We go to churches and you pick Grace Bible Church and you're like, oh, I love this church. I love Pastor Brian. I love the leadership, the philosophy. I love the worship. Just keep coming and something will happen you don't like. If we were all, I don't say that because I I just, I say it because of Romans 8. You won't find a perfect church and that's what keeps happening to us. I left my last church because, but you guys, But then if you stay long enough, you find out, oh, I like this that they weren't doing, but now they're doing this that I don't like. And futility, there'll be a measure of futility with everything. You won't find the perfect church. Marriage, you say, well, we're both Christians and we both read that Christian book and we both believe Ephesians 5 and we both should be doing this, but there's still just this sense of, oh, I just wish she would a little more. And I wish she, I just wish she, And we're so hard, the demands we place on our church leaders, the demands we place on our spouses, the demands we place and expectations on our employers, I could just continue to extrapolate. Oh, how it would help us if we just thought, whatever I'm experiencing, it will never, ever in this life fully be, yes. (laughs) She doesn't need to change a thing, not a thing. There's just always this sense of, oh, if we could just add this baby love, just a little more of this. And jobs, you know? I shudder every time I hear Christians in my church gonna work for each other. Oh, please don't. Because <laughs> they think, oh, we're both Christians and he's a builder and I'm a, I'm a mason and we're gonna work together because, oh man, it's been so hard working with unbelievers and they cuss and they have terrible attitudes. It invariably ends to a falling out. Why? because there's still futility. It's still sinners working together. And here's what I think. Sometimes our expectations are even higher and we give other Christians no grace because you think, you're a Christian. I didn't expect to not like anything about you and I don't like this. Futility, futility, futility. I'm not saying that to just bum you out. This would help you if you get hold of it. Every time you find one of those moments of, (gasps) but just say, Romans 8, 20, futility right now. The perfect marriage is coming. Well, actually, there won't be marriage in heaven, so drop that. But perfect relationships are coming. Perfect whatever is coming. Right now, we ought to just thank God that the marriage has any measure of sweetness. How could it even be this good in a world this bad when we're still both such big sinners? That's what we ought to say. When we have those moments like, oh, how did this happen? But instead, whenever we have that, we want it to always be that good. Does that make sense? Futility, all right? Nothing's random, God's in control. Number three, reason you can have hope in the midst of your suffering and groaning. Number three, your groaning is part of a greater symphony of groaning that's been going on long before you uttered your first cry or shed your first tear. You're just entering into a symphony of groaning. Creation itself is groaning. Other people have been groaning as long as there have been human beings. And here's the wonderful encouragement in this. All of it has a glorious expiration date that God controls. 
Look at it in verse 21 and 22. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And God has that date on his calendar. This, this that you know, this brokenness, this angst, this heaviness, this groaning, it's coming to an end. There's an expiration date. God already has it on his calendar and creation itself is gonna be delivered from the bondage to sin and along with us into the same liberty that we will experience of perfect sin-free relationships, deep abiding joy, no uneasiness, no more hurts, no broken relationships, no more misunderstanding, no more sense of yes, but... Can you imagine everything you put your hand to is just fully yes. And again, because God is infinite, get this. There there won't be boredom. When I hear young people say, well, won't we be bored? Oh, shut up. Because you're so used to being bored here in this life. No matter what you get, it gets boring. And I got to have a new version of that. If God is infinite, and he is, imagine as you see this, that's not it. There'll be, there's more. Oh, but there's more. Oh, but there's more. Oh, but there's more. And imagine for all of eternity living every day with, this is so good. I didn't think it could get any better, but it just did. Oh no, this is so good. This has got to be the apex of goodness and pleasure and delight, but it just got better. That's what's coming. Not to mention to be in the presence of the most beautiful, wonderful, loving, glorious, delightful person in the world. Jesus Christ, in his presence, your savior, in his presence. Lastly, number four, reasons you can have hope in the midst of your groaning, that you can wait and hope and not just groan. You do not groan alone. This is one of the most precious promises tucked into these verses because listen to me those of you that have suffered really suffered I'm not talking about a bump in the road when you really face suffering is not one of the worst parts about it how you feel so isolated and cut off from all other people you just feel like nobody else gets it they try to but nobody else I remember when our first baby died driving away from the hospital and literally, I kid you not, it was like the world looked grainy, gray, black and white to me. All color had been drained from the world. And I found myself thinking as I saw people laughing or doing normal things out my window, how can you laugh? How could, it it almost seemed like, don't you know what's just happened? Many of you live in situations like that, just ongoing where you feel so cut off and you try to articulate to someone what you, but you just sometimes can't. You feel like no one really gets it. My BFFFF let me down. She wasn't there. My best friend, I tried to talk to my, my pastor. Listen to me. This passage tells us you're not alone. There's someone who gets it. Look at it with me in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us. Notice, not outside of our weaknesses, and he sends a little missile over there. In, helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, 
but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. God the Spirit doesn't just groan with you. He groans through you. And get this. He takes your garbled, broken, choppy phrases. Think about those times that you cannot, if you're really hurting, and I've tasted a little bit of it. I haven't suffered as much as many, but I've suffered enough to know what this feels like. I almost couldn't form a full thought or a complete sentence. My, my heart was so crushed I'm blubbering, there's silence, there's confusion, it's garbled phrases, it's choppy, it doesn't mean, seem to make sense. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit takes that and brings it to the throne of grace to your high priest, Jesus Christ, and he doesn't say, get out of here with that mess. I need complete sentences. I need good theology. I need, you can just cry out in broken, choppy, confused, sobbing phrases, and the Holy Spirit knows exactly and takes that mess to a savior who receives you, loves you, doesn't judge your prayer or your words and says, come here. He's a suffering savior. He knows suffering too. You're not alone. You may feel like every human being that should have been there has, has, has let, let you down. And it may be true, but hear me. There's something better. You turn to your Savior by His Spirit in you and His Word speaking to you. And there's sweetness, there's intimacy. Sometimes real intimacy and sweetness with our Savior through His Spirit only begins to grow when human beings have let you down. Because too often we are so satisfied and dependent in these other relationships when they're good, we don't turn to Him. If you are just shattered here this morning, listen to me, my heart does go out to you. I would not have wished it would have happened to you but I do have a little bit of excitement for you. This could be your season that is sweeter as far as an intimacy with Jesus Christ and a knowledge of him and a delight in him for a peace and a hope that you've never experienced than ever before. Out of brokenness, you're not alone. You're not alone. You say, Brad, do any real people do these things? This all sounds great from scripture. Any real people do these things? Yes, You've got people in your church family this size that know exactly what I'm talking about. They're not moving forward with hope, still serving, teaching in children's class or serving on the worship team or whatever they may be doing because their life hasn't been hard. Some of you have no idea how awful someone's life is and yet they serve and yet they sing and yet they have, and yet they may still sob and cry on a regular basis, but they've kept moving forward, gripping their father's hand on tiptoe, hopeful, expectant real people do this in my own church family I've been there 20 years I know Pastor Brian's been here 30 one of my greatest joys of staying at a church and so many Sundays I wish I could just stop the sermon and just tell stories but I can't it, it would be a breach of confidence I know of the trophies of grace that are sitting around here I wish everyone knew. You have no idea. Do you know what's going on with him? Do you know what happened to her? And yet they move forward by the grace of God with the spirit of God living in them. And what should have been a crushing that would have made bitter, bitter grapes made sweet wine. And they're the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place. And we can be so guilty of saying, well, it's because she's had such a good life. You don't know. Some of the sweetest people are that way 
because of the brokenness and the shattering. And they turn to God instead of away from God. And the spirit of the living God in them and the word of God speaking to them has woven a threefold cord of groaning, suffering, uh, groaning, waiting, hoping. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. They would never pretend to say, oh, it wasn't bad. But literally, I've had people sit and say, I know this is gonna sound weird to some of you. I would never wish that it hadn't happened. And what they're speaking of is something horrific because I am so different. What God has done in me through this I've got a young couple right now who just lost a 15-month-old daughter. I don't know about you, but as a pastor, the hardest thing I do is funerals of little children and going to the hospital with little children with hoses and things all hooked up to them. Oh, my goodness. And she didn't just die. She gradually died. She had a rare condition called Sandoff disease, lysomal storage disorder. So they couldn't figure out what's going on. She'd been walking. Now she keeps falling down. Uh, They can't seem to get her attention. It took forever for them to realize she's deaf now. Then she's blind. It was a slow, gradual dying. Do you know how hard that would be as a mother, father, pastor? And yet, this woman is a sinner. She's not perfect. I want you to hear what she wrote me and what she said. Oh, she's cried buckets of tears. She still cries. I, I still send her a card every anniversary. I still talk about her daughter and come... Oh my, she's, she's that far from tears on any given day. But not bitter tears. She still sings, serves, teaches VBS, mentors teenagers in her home. She has not just curled up in a ball and say, that's it, I'm done. She moves forward because of hoping, waiting. Listen to what she said. She said, I've been blessed to see how God has been working in my life. This was in the year after the death. I'm sharing with so many people about how suffering well through my trial has produced such a closeness with my heavenly father that I can only attribute it to being on my knees and learning about who he is and what his son did for me. Had I not been in the word and laying myself at the foot of the cross, I would today be a bitter, angry woman. The year that Emma died is the worst year ever in my life. And yet, remember the yet we had in Romans 8? Yet, we're more than conquered. Yet the year where I found out what it really means to trust him. I am learning to go through my trials with the knowledge that God is in complete control and I have nothing to fear. I don't like trials, but I'm learning to love what they produce. Thank you for teaching us from his word and loving us enough to point out the tough stuff. And oh, it is tough but I'm finding such joy and hope in hiding his word in my heart. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want you to think right now, what's been coming to your mind during this message? You fill in the blank. Where do you groan the most? Where's the groaning the loudest in your life? Is it a rebellious child? Is it a, is it a less than perfect marriage or a very hurtful marriage? Is it abuse from your past? Is it a financial calamity? I don't know, but I want you to get it in view right now. What is the groaning that's loudest in your life? And now I want to ask you, do you have enough of those two other chords, hoping and waiting, wrapped around that groaning?
Or is it just groaning, raw groaning? You will not be able to persevere. You will not be able to joyfully serve God if it's just raw groaning. You say, Brad, how do I I get the hoping and the waiting? I I hope it's obvious. I just took one passage and have tried to do that for you. The whole Bible is geared this way. Get in God's word and don't speed read it. Read it prayerfully, carefully, slowly, worshipfully. Say, God, reorient me, renew my mind. Oh, give light where there's darkness. Give hope where there's despair. Give clarity where there's confusion. Cry out to him and say, God, I I can't do this. Please wrap cords of hope and weight around my groaning. But I'll tell you what you can do. It's your choice to turn off the TV and open his word. It's your choice to shut down the computer and stop surfing from one side to the next and open his word. It's your choice to get in a growth group or a a, a group of Christians that get together to pray and bear one another's burdens. It's your choice to put on worship music and, and choose to move your thoughts in a hopeful direction and remind yourself there is a God. It's your choice even to say, I'm gonna memorize some passages. I'm gonna take some of that Romans 8. I'm gonna memorize it. I'm gonna chew my way through that. I don't have a secret for how to silence the groaning in your life or to get you out of it. But Romans 8 tells us how to go through it. Through it. By God's grace and for his glory. Brian, if you would come and close. Let's pray together. Father, as we contemplate, meditate upon what we have heard from your word this morning, from this rich, rich chapter of Scripture. May you take the living truth of your word and drive it deep into our hearts and our souls because we do suffer. We do go through times of agony. And for those present maybe who have yet to do so, it is certain that they will should the Lord Jesus tarry. So we pray you would take the glories of your truth and quicken our minds and that you would strengthen our hearts and that we would persevere and not just persevere in some sort of uh, bitter resignation but persevere as we have been instructed this morning in hope. So thank you for your servant who has instructed us and encouraged us and challenged us May we respond to the truth of your word by looking not horizontally to others, but vertically to you, Father, to your Son, the Lord Jesus, to your precious Holy Spirit, as we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.